when I went into this, I, I went into it with the idea that when people are grieving, I'm going to learn how to fix their grief. And I learned that you can't fix their grief, that the grief is a good thing. Queen Elizabeth said, grief is the price we pay for love. Hubert, I want to thank you again for being here. I'm grateful that you reached out and I'm looking forward to chatting with you. So just to get the ball rolling for people listening, it'd be nice to hear a little bit about why you wanted to to talk with me and why you wanted to be on here. Well, first of all, my name is Hubert Cunningham and I'm a certified funeral celebrant and I live here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, To kind of give a background of of where I've come from and what I do is I spent 40 years as a United Methodist minister, ordained, seminary trained, and all of that. But in those 40 years of ministry, I always felt a, a strong desire to work with people that were grieving, going through the grieving process. Uh, that seemed to be the the moments that I felt the greatest fulfillment in ministry. And in doing so, through those years, I, I went to mortuary school, uh, became a licensed funeral director uh, in the state of Tennessee. Uh, I have a CFSP designation, Certified Funeral Service Practitioner. I'm a certified crematory operator and all of that. But I never wanted to practice funeral directing as such. I just wanted to learn about uh, death and dying from that perspective and so forth. And uh, in doing that, it gave me an opportunity to network with the funeral directors in our area, uh, in our state. And as a certified funeral celebrant, I'm able to work with them and know them. And so as a result, I've started a little uh, business called Healing Words Institute. And what I do is I do funeral services for 21 different funeral homes that I'm in uh, contractual agreement with. And what that involves is doing customized services, not cookie cutter type services, but actual customized funeral services that celebrates the life of the individual. So that's that's what I do. Very nice. So when you say celebrant, is that is that specific to? I mean, obviously that's pretty self-explanatory, but not so much for I think your field. And I'm sure you, I think you might have heard the last guest that I had was. Um, I did. You know, in the field as you, and I thought it was such a unique idea to specifically celebrate life. And I think, I feel like every funeral, that's kind of like the idea behind it, but it doesn't, it never feels like that. It's always, you know, you know, inherently sad, which is, which is explainable. Did you add that touch or is that a specific uh, terminology when you add the celebrant at the end of that? Uh, well, that is that is what uh, uh, the training is called, is celebrant training. It actually began in Australia, I think. But I went through the Insight Institute for Funeral Service uh, Celebrants training in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, where they specifically train you to be a funeral service celebrant. Actually, I, I graduated from college with a degree in theology. I graduated from seminary three-year master's level degree, and I never had a single class in how to perform a funeral service. As a result, many colleagues, when they do funeral services, they they almost act like it's some kind of duty. They don't look forward to it. They regret doing it almost. And I think it's because they're not trained uh, at how to do it and don't really appreciate the beauty of it. What happens many times is there is a ritual that people will go through and they'll do the ritual 
or they'll do what is traditional for them, but it's not really a customized service that truly celebrates the life of a loved one. And I noticed that people are wanting more of the customized uh, funeral service that celebrates the life of the person because there's really two ways to look at death. You can look at the fact that they've died and, and the physical being will not continue on, or you can look at the fact that they lived and there's something to celebrate in the fact that they lived, uh, celebrate the life that they live. And everybody wants to hear a very uh, simple thing, not necessarily in these words, but they want to hear this. They want to hear that their loved one was significant and that their life mattered. And everybody is significant and every life matters. I've done services for what they call unclaimed veterans for homeless people. And I could say that their life mattered, that their life was significant and tell the truth. And then I try to to talk about why that life is significant, why that life mattered. And certainly it does to the individuals that love them and cared about them, that shows up for the funeral service. That's important, I think. And so they want to hear that. And I try to get to know the individual when they call and say, would you do a service? What I try to do is I try to visit in the home if possible, uh, because in the home, you see a lot of things that helps you to understand the person. You see maybe things that they collected, uh, if it's a lady, maybe figurines or dolls or something, or or maybe some quilts that they sewed or whatever. Uh, if it's a guy, maybe you'll see sports memorabilia or something like that, or, or mounted deer antlers or something, you know, and it begins to help you to see who that person was and feel who they were. And then as the person begins to sit around and just tell stories about the individual, that's therapeutic from the grief standpoint, because in doing so, there's some stories that will bring a smile to their face. There's stories that will help them remember how important that physical presence was of their loved one in their life. And so you begin to put together a story and a theme that helps then tell the story. And the greatest compliment that you can have, I think, for me at a funeral service is when someone leaves the funeral service and they they maybe have not really known the individual very well, but they'll say to me, wow, I feel like I've known that guy all of my life. <laughs> well, surely that's what you're trying to do is help talk about that individual. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about some theological mumbo-jumbo that maybe it would be difficult to to understand or even debate uh, the true meaning of, but you're talking about the individual who lived. You said it right there in regards to the theological mumbo-jumbo, quote-unquote, obviously. I know you're not being serious with the, the way you pronounce it there, but you did study theology, and I, I kind of want to—I want to stay on par with what you're talking about in regard to the funeral services. But I want to kind of transition and kind of blend it all together. Of when you study theology to your path where you are now, was there a heavy discussion on death in the curriculum? Never. Why is that? I, I don't know. I did the whole process. I went to—I used to go to church when I was younger. When I say used to, it's just not that anything's really dissipated. I just—I don't—I just was. I'm not as—I'm not not as regular, you know, uh, Sunday morning Christian anymore. And not because uh, you know I'm become an atheist or anything dismal <laughs> like that, but. You know, you're where the majority of society is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm like the school of skepticism in the sense that you know I don't I don't know I don't think anything's absolute. I think there's something up there, but I'm not asking about my beliefs. My question is, I don't understand why death isn't part a heavy part of a curriculum when 
correct me if I'm wrong, I, I feel like everyone's in, in religions talking about transitioning to the other side, going to heaven or whatever it may be and to meet the Lord. But how are we not talking about that transition from some kind of culpable standpoint or just from some kind of, you know, ideology of what happens? So A, I want to ask you, why isn't it discussed? And B, I'm curious about what your beliefs are as to, you know, someone who's so studied in, in that field and what happens in your opinion? Not even what happens is what's your belief system in that? Well, first of all, I don't know why that is not taught in seminaries or in, in colleges and, and ministerial curriculum. I, I don't know. Uh, I just know that as, as someone who went through that process, it was never a part of the curriculum. Even as a uh, process of becoming ordained, it was not in that uh, requirements or anything to be proficient in doing uh, funeral services. Now, weddings are a little bit different because that's just a ritual uh, that is done. Uh, it's really much simpler than uh, a funeral service. My curiosity isn't even so much about specifically funeral services. It's more about the idea that there's not talking about death in general, besides the fact of how you can celebrate one's life, which I think is, you know, what you're doing is so amazing. I think that's such a unique way, especially today that I think death is so prevalent in people's minds considering the state of the world. I think it's one like the 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 rankings of how often death's been Googled is like at an all time high from what I've understood. So it's definitely on people's minds. So I think you're in a quote unquote hot business right now, especially with this is a different day and age. And I think the generation we're at right now, people want that creativity and want something more personalized. So I think you're hitting the nail on the head. But back to what I was saying is, what is the deal? <laughs> Why is it if anything if religion? If there's anywhere a place to discuss death and try to understand it in either a philosophical way or learn how to cope with it, I feel like it's religion. Well, that is true. You would think that. Uh, however, it's uncomfortable for people to talk about death in general, and especially their own death. It is extremely difficult for people to deal with that at all. And so the way we deal with it is we deal with it in traditional ways. Now, I did my PhD dissertation on uh, death and dying issues uh, basically on Jeremiah 8.22, but I asked the, the question, the hypothesis was, does faith traditions and rituals and customs, do they aid in the grieving process? And I wanted to say, yes, they do. But in the South, we know that uh, if someone dies, that certainly if we take some fried chicken and potato salad and maybe a, a pie over to their house, that's going to absolve their grief. And we're, we're trying to be caring and nurturing and loving them. But when the, when the grave is closed... Uh, if it's a traditional barrel, then what happens is uh, we walk away as the church and we uh, we think, well, they'll get over it. They'll be all right. But in reality, the toughest part of that becomes in dealing with cleaning out the closets, you know, doing things like that, because that's when reality sinks in that the person really is gone. And many times people are left alone. Another thing that happens is uh, if somebody lives to be a a ripe old age and they die of natural causes, then that's that's wonderful. But what if they die sooner or they die of non-traditional ways? For example, one of the things that, that I deal with all the time is people who die from suicide. Really, the church does a, a terrible job at trying to help people realize that suicide is something that happens. And how do you deal with that? Or how do you deal with with the fact that if somebody dies with AIDS or 
another one. What about someone that, that has a miscarriage? We say the wrong things, though we mean it the right way, because we don't know how to deal with it. And death is one of those mystical subjects that we don't know how to talk about. We don't even know what to say when we go to visit a family who has lost someone. We trip over our words and we say things like, well, they're in a better place now. Well, what causes you to believe that? <laughs> you know, Why do you say that? Well, it's because we, we really have difficulty looking at death in a real way. And so we try to filter our, our language and we say what we think people want to hear. We process it like we think that we should process it according to our society. But it creates more problems and grief sometimes when people don't uh, have a free way to vent and to grieve and to allow as much time as they need to grieve. So I don't know. And in theological circles, we, um, I guess, like to talk more about life than we do death. I think theologically, the, <laughs> the way we get from this life to the next life is through the passage of death. I haven't had this specific conversation. You know, I know specifically with someone in your field, as you're significantly more studied than anyone I've spoke to on here. And it just doesn't make sense to me that religion, and especially, you know, um, Catholicism or Christianity, put so much of an emphasis on, you know, meeting the Lord and, and getting to heaven, this and that, and things you should do to get to heaven, but not talk about the transitionary period and how there's not a process of, you know, connecting the, the religious world to helping someone grieve. You know what I mean? I, it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I just don't understand. And I know you just alluded to it, how it's not something that is discussed or dealt with more often. I feel like there's an opportunity there for what you're doing to kind of connect both worlds. I and mean, to me, that's kind of what you're doing. You know, you're in that field, but you're also now you're really putting a focus on the grieving process. So you said earlier on that you, you kind of gravitated towards this field, obviously for some reason. What what was your reasoning? What what gravitated? Was your experience in your life, or was there some kind of switch that went off, and why? Well, there's several reasons why I gravitated to this area. Uh, the first and foremost, I think the the number one credential that anybody has to have in order to do this type of work is that you have to have a passion to really work with people that are going through the grieving process. That has to overshadow anything else that you do. And for some reason, and I can't explain exactly why, but for some reason, I've always had this incredible passion to be with people who are going through the grieving process, people that experience death in their own life. It just seems to me that they hurt deeper and broader in that experience than they do in any other phase of life. And so I, I wanted to help people uh, that way. And so in ministry, when I was in ministry and was able to, to work with people uh, in, in my care that were experiencing death, it seems as though my spiritual gifts, my natural gifts, my God-given abilities were better at doing that than any other thing. I, I was just more comfortable telling people that I cared and I was with them and I was going to walk through them. Uh, through this uh, circumstance with them than I was to say, hey, if you don't repent of your sins, you're going to go to hell. I just didn't feel comfortable doing that, but I did feel comfortable talking to people and being with people who were hurting. And um, that meant a lot uh, to me personally. I felt fulfilled because every day in ministry, you want to make a difference in somebody's life. But the days that you spent with grieving people were days that you felt like that 
maybe you had made a difference that day. And then there was another experience along the way that kind of shaped and molded this a little bit. My my daughter had a, a miscarriage. And uh, when she had this miscarriage, I noticed that there was a lot of grieving that was taking place that I could see uh, for several reasons. One is there was no funeral service, even though it was almost a full term. I noticed what people would say to her uh, during that time that it really kind of intensified the grief rather than alleviate the grief. Uh, Things like, well, you're young, you can have another child. Well, sure, you're young, you can have another child, but you can't have that child. And so those kind of things was uh, part of the reasons why I gravitated in this area. But I don't know, there's just something about the mystery of death that uh, causes me to want to try to help people and and do something in in that time of grief that is is uh, amazing. Now, one of the things I learned when I went into this, I I went into it with the idea that I'm going to, when people are grieving, I'm going to learn how to fix their grief. And I learned uh, that you can't fix their grief, that the grief is a good thing. Queen Elizabeth said, grief is the price we pay for love. And certainly I think that's true that if you love somebody, you're going to grieve, and it's a healthy way to grieve. Now, there's unhealthy ways to grieve as well, but I'm trying to help people focus their grief in ways that are healthy, in ways that causes uh, good things to come out of bad things. Uh, How you can continue to help that person live and be remembered and that their life was not lived in vain. Amen. That was so well said. You mentioned specifically that grief isn't a bad thing and that you can't really do anything to, you can't do anything. Obviously, you can help. What do you tell the people that are grieving? I know, I know it probably changes per person and per experience, of course, but with the understanding that, uh, you know, grief is a good thing and there's only so much you can do to just can't remove their grief. I mean, I don't think, in my opinion, grief doesn't go anywhere for the rest of your life. But do you have, you know, a template or something that you do say to someone? Like if someone was in front of you right now grieving, is there anything you would tell them? Well, of course, my whole uh, mantra is the fact that I think I practice uh, an art, which there is no science here. Everybody is different, and I try to not have a template so that everybody follows that into that template. But I try to do something in a general way to encourage people to channel their grief in a way that's going to be positive and will make a difference in somebody's life. For example, near where I live, there was a 16-year-old boy who uh, broke up with his girlfriend, and as a result, he uh, uh, was depressed, and he took his own life, and his family was devastated by that. As a result, his father very wisely channeled his grief in a way of uh, starting an organization called the Jason Foundation, which deals with helping teens, teenagers who go through grieving process, uh, different disasters in their life, how to to avoid suicide. And it's been very successful. It's been a great program. But he has channeled his grief in a positive way that uh, helps perpetuate the life of his son, but it also helps him with the dealing of, of his own personal grief. Kimberly Slapperman, who uh, sings with uh, Little Big Town, her brother-in-law was tragically killed on a motorcycle that they had. A uh, drunk driver ran into him, and he had a passion for 
dogwood trees. And they started an organization called the Dogwood Foundation, which uh, when a person dies and they have little children, a dogwood tree is sent to them and they can plant that dogwood tree. And it's a way of dealing with grief. And there's a lot of ways like that, that people can deal with the grief of a loved one that helps bring comfort and care and positive things to to others and to the world around them in in a way. So if, if you can channel grief, and I always try to encourage people to do something, it may not be anything of that large a proportion of, of life, but, but they can do something that will cause that life that has been lived to make a positive difference in other people's lives. Uh, I think that's a good way to deal with grief, to tell you the truth. And uh, I try to encourage people to do something like that. And there's a, a long list of things that I can give as suggestions or ideas, but I try to do that so that uh, their loved one just doesn't die and eventually fades from our memories yeah i think it's it's this is a symbolicism to all that and i wonder if you know the, the dogwood trees that's i think that's a really cool idea i'm gonna have to look that up a little bit but in your opinion does it make it not that it continues their life but in some sense like you said continue their memory and it makes it tangible so do you think there's something to do you think there's something in the sauce in regards to you know creating a tangibility that continues the memory of someone whether it's a dogwood tree whether it's a website whether it's this or that Oh, absolutely. I think there's something about uh, the tangibility of that. Uh, In the same way that uh, people will say, well, mama didn't want to have a funeral when she died. She said she didn't want a funeral. Well, there's probably a reason why mama said that. Mama's probably said that because she didn't want the family to go to all the expense and all of that. And she really was maybe a little modest and didn't want people to make over. But if you really look at that, the ramifications of that, though not intended, are, is pretty selfish because the funeral is not for the person that died. It's for the people that are left behind. And how are they going to deal with the reality of of the loss of the loved one? How's there going to be closure? How's there going to be any uh, healthy grieving if there's no finality to that life? And we're seeing a lot of that with direct cremations now. Cost is uh, driving that. And uh, People are saying, well, we'll just do a direct cremation and and, and that's it. And uh, that's really difficult with the grief that, that follows. That's another issue. And as you described your own uh, faith journey earlier, uh, you are in the majority of people who uh, feels like that, you know, you don't have clergy to call on or, or you don't feel comfortable with clergy coming. And in my area, sometimes clergy sees that as an opportunity to preach. And I always tell people the difference between a clergyman doing your funeral and me doing your funeral is a clergyman is going to preach and I'm not going to preach. I'm going to tell a story, the story of the person's life that died. But sometimes it gets out of hand and people give long invitations for people to to make a, a commitment to Christ in a funeral service, which I think is highly inappropriate. Anyway, those kind of things happen. And... Um, so I can understand why they wouldn't want a funeral service if that's what they're going to get. But if they're going to uh, talk about the positive attributes of the person that is deceased and they're going to help you to see that there's a reason why that person carved out a special place in your heart, that you love them, and uh, how you can take the life that they lived as a pattern for living life better after they're gone, 
uh, I think those will be especially comforting to people in the days that lie ahead, and they'll look back to that person with with a great deal of of uh, admiration and and respect and gratitude. And again, with cremation, cremation is a is a great way to dispose of the remains of human beings. But when you do that, many times there's not a marker in the cemetery. There's not a tombstone that people can go to and see and and remember. And uh, that that does complicate the remembering and the grieving process. I think so. It's important that we do have ways that we can mark the reality that that person actually lived. What better way to celebrate someone's life than the way you're doing it and to honor them in a, in a personalized way as opposed to a cookie cutter funeral? You mentioned something also about closure, which is a, you know obviously a big part of grieving, and whether it's through the funeral process or however you do it afterwards. But I also think you know the, back to what we were saying about theology in general and the preparation we have of living before death. I think that's why it's so important to acknowledge death in a way, not in a morbid way, but that's why I think it'd be so important to have that in the preaching of religion in some sense or outside of religion, just in life in general, because the more we can become accepting of our fate with death, I think only enhances the way we live, which is what I've said, which also kind of pats down the closure that we'll need when someone dies. So I feel like the more closure you need kind of means you have like unfinished business with someone when they died, meaning maybe you didn't fulfill your life in some way with that relationship, if that makes sense. Because I feel like, you know, closure is always needed in many ways. So I might be off kilt saying this, but like, if you, if you left someone on a bad note, for instance, before they died, you didn't, you didn't tell them this, you didn't do that. Then were you truly fully living openly with full love with this person? Not even love per se, but just you, you held back. And I think if you have something to fill that closure, then you you might have missed out on something. This is why you need the closure, which is why I think the importance of having this discussion with death prior to it happening, you know, will will make the closure a little easier. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. The study of thanatology uh, really is the grieving process before the person dies, when when they're about to die, maybe going through hospice or something like that, as well as dealing with the people that are left behind that is going through the grieving process as well. And uh, I think that's important. Now, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is the big one we always quote uh, because she's the one that was able to come up with the five steps of grieving we all are familiar with. But those five steps of grieving was actually for people that were about to die. They were not for intended for people that had already died. Now, a lot of times those five grieving steps are the same ones that we experience after death happens. But uh, her intention, her original intention was for those that were facing their own demise to, you know, realize what step they were in, you know, whether it's denial or bargaining or whatever. So that's that's what it is. That's true. How did that get twisted that it was the griefing process of someone that has passed already? Well, I don't know how that got twisted because, like I say, it, it is a lot of times duplicated uh, for people that have passed away. Um, they do go through that denial and bargaining and, you know, all of that. But, but it, she originally intended that for people that were going through hospice or something like that and were facing their own death and they knew they were going to die. How did they deal with that? How do they process that? Well, certainly, you know, you would have denial and anger and bargaining and, and all of those things before you get to the final step of acceptance because death, that is the ultimate enemy, it seems, 
and and people spend money. They have difficulty accepting the reality of death, and 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 even when the science is there and says there's no possible way that you can continue to live, they you know somehow will cling to some kind of false hope that they're going to live. In our area, uh, a lot of times people will say, you know, you've got cancer. Uh, There's no way you can live with this cancer. It's terminal. We've done all we can do. And people hear that and they'll go to uh, MD Anderson and they'll think there's some kind of special treatment they can get at MD Anderson Cancer Center. There's some kind of special treatment I can get in Mexico or Greece or something that is going to overcome this and there's going to be some miracle. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the reality is that's, that's just not reality. So they have to come to the idea that that they're going to die. But it, it's a long process to get to that place where you accept, I am terminal. I'm going to die. The death rate is 100%, and I'm in that 100% that's going to die. I mean, we're all terminal, even the day we're born, right? <laughs> exactly right. And we all want to deny that. We all want to go away from that. I talk to people that sell pre-need insurance, and I say, you know, this is a great, great thing because it's, it's a good deal because it seals the price and all of that. The only thing is people just don't want to talk about their death (laughs) or anybody's death, but especially their death. Uh, It's just difficult to do. And so we avoid those conversations if at all possible. Yeah. And so it's ironic how uh, we don't want to talk about our own death for my guess is a lot of times maybe selfish reasons because it's our death. But like when you said how it was selfish potentially for someone who passes and doesn't want a funeral because the funeral's not about them, they're already gone. It's always, you know, grief and death has a lingering effect on those still living, which is kind of what I'm relating to about not wanting to talk about it because it's like, well, yeah, maybe you don't want to talk about it for whatever reason, but, you know, the people, especially if you're a parent, you know, that's a different, you have a different perspective on life because if you pass, then who's going to take care of your kids? But, uh, you know, I think that's even more important to talk about it because then it'll it'll help the people around you maybe deal with it a little easier when you do pass. Well, that's true. And, and I can tell you that I, I deal with death every day and I deal with that probably more than most people do. People will say to me all the time, how do you, you know, manage your own life with dealing with death all the time? And I said, well, I deal with a lot more living people than I do dying people uh, because someone who dies are surrounded by uh, a group of, of living people that love them and care about them. But at the same time, I think that I've learned more about life looking at death, which is kind of ironic, than than I do if I just focus on life and don't think about death and look at the other side of the perspective. It certainly helped me to understand my own mortality a lot better. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Death is Death is not the end of life. Death is a part of life, whether we like it or not. Right, absolutely. What was that passage you brought up? Was it Matthew somewhere? What was the passage you referenced earlier in the in this? Oh, Jeremiah eight twenty two. That's yeah, what I did my dissertation on. Jeremiah eight twenty two. The story is that Jeremiah was sent by God to be a prophet to the nation of Israel, and even though Jeremiah tried to get the people to repent of their sins and turn toward God, because if they didn't, they were going to perish. God was going to punish them for their sins. The people turned deaf ears and blind eyes to God. And so Jeremiah said, is there no bomb in Gilead? And what he was talking about there is in Gilead, physicians from all over the world would come and they would take the sap, the resin from the 
the uh, tree there, and it was uh, it formed a medicine that would cure any illness, any illness. And people would come there to receive that healing. But Jeremiah hurt so bad, the grief that he experienced was so deep and broad that even that would not give him any comfort. And and when we experience grief, we hurt in ways that we we want some potion or some method that will give us comfort and instant healing. But there is no instant healing. There is no bomb in Gilead for the grief that we all experience when we come to that uh, terrible time when we experience uh, the loss of a loved one. And not only the loss of a loved one, but the loss of a pet, the loss of a job, the loss of a spouse, uh, and divorce. All of those things create grieving processes in our own lives. So did Jeremiah find anything? Or will we learn anything from Jeremiah's process? Or it's just, <laughs> there's no bomb, you got to figure this out. Well, and that was the point that he did not find anything to solve his grief or to take away his grief. And and we have no magic potion that will take away our grief either. And so given the reality of grief, how do we deal with that? And the best way that I, I can think of to deal with it is to um, uh, transform it in ways that will bring about some kind of positive result of uh, the loss that we've experienced. Yeah, and then there's another quote. Um... Grief is, the more pain you feel is, uh, you know, the price of love. So if there's ever a way to flip the script, as cliche as it is, you know, the more the more pain you feel, there's the more love you felt. So, you know, as much as it sucks to feel in that moment, right. and I feel like yeah. when you're in that moment, you're like, if someone says that to me, I'm like, would you just shut up because you're suffering so much? <laughs> right. but, but at the same time, it's like, it's true. If you're going to flip it one way, it's like, damn, I, I I love this son of a bitch so much that I'm hurting that much. So, you know, it's, it's, it's something to lean on in the meantime. But, um... You, I think it's really great what you're doing, and it's definitely a unique spin on, you know, I, I think blending the two worlds. And it was a shock, like I said, I've hit it with the beaten drum already. It really is a shock to me how how much, you know, there's. I feel like there could be more ministering in the grief process and not just having a funeral and forgetting it. I think, you know, religion has, has such a reliance on life and what's after life that it should be more of a discussion. So it's cool for you to have your background, you know, your, your expertise and also doing what you're doing with those grieving and those dying. I think it's a really cool spin and I commend you for what you're doing. Well, thank you. But in the arena of faith, you know, it seems like that we should welcome death and not fear death because on the other side, it, it, if we believe what we believe, then on the other side, life is going to be much better. There's an old story about a man getting killed in a car wreck. He ushered uh, in to the pearly gates with Peter and Peter says, well, let me show you around. So he's showing him around. He said, now, I know you live in a really nice house on earth, but you're going to live in a much better house here. And he showed him his mansion. And he said, well, that's that's great. That's mine. He said, yeah, that's going to be yours. So he showed him this golf course. He said, I know you like to play golf. And look at this golf course. It's the most beautiful golf course it's ever been. He said, well, what's the green fees? And when can I play? He said, there's no green fees. And you can play anytime you want. You like it. He showed him a lake, and he says, there's a beautiful lake. You know, you can fish in that lake whenever you want to. It's stocked with the best fish there is and all of that. So when he got through, he asked the guy, he said, uh, well, what do you think? And he said, I think I'm upset with my wife. And he said, well, why are you upset with your wife? He said, if she hadn't made me eat all that broccoli all these years, I could have been here a long time ago. <laughs> but he had to go through the, That's great. the death process to get there. So I don't know if in the, in the arena of faith, we should fear death as much as we should anticipate and welcome death. You know, that's kind of a facetious way to look at it. But I really 
personally have come to that place in my own life where um, I don't welcome death. I don't want death. I love living on this earth. But at the same time, I certainly don't fear death. And when that time comes for me, I, I will embrace it, I believe, as a result of my own journey dealing with all these other people that has went through that time. I love that. And it kind of makes me think about you know, say whenever we do pass, we fi- actually find out the truth of what happens. It's going to be one way or the other. It's going to be like, damn, I wish I died sooner. This is fantastic. What was I, what was I scared of this whole time? Or it could be, ter- or if it's terrible, then it's like, I wish I fought a little more in life. So either way, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. We might as well come to peace and enjoy what we have now. It's easier said than done. I very much understand that because of the complexities of human nature and emotions. But, you know, I think as complex as it is, it's also much simpler than we think. If you want to mention your, you know, your platform, your your business again, plug that in and tell people where to find you. Sure, it's Healing Words Institute. It's what it is, and um, I'm based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and and uh, you can find me on Facebook or whatever. And uh, I I do other things uh, that try to help people wherever they are to um, find healthy ways to vent their grief and experience grief and to walk with, with the pain of grief. Uh, it's, it's an indescribable pain. And I, I just want people to know that, that that somebody truly, genuinely, sincerely cares uh, when people go through that. And, and I desire earnestly to walk with them in that time. Thank you. Amen. So I'll be, fo- I'll be following you. I want to thank you again for, for being on here. And uh, I would love to stay in touch. And if there's anything I could ever do for you, uh, you were, please let me know. I, I'm really blessed to have had you here. And vice versa. I'll do anything I can to help you as well. Thank you. Thank you.